Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 to Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none of his brothers, saying, Nor the Lord. For all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. In that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Chapter 9. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy sheet. Of these things we cannot speak now speak in detail. And when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood which he offered for himself and for people's sin committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this and that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Concerned only with foods, and drinks, various washings, and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. But Christ came as the high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of God and cows, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption." For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean sanctifices for the purifying of the flesh, 
how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is a mediator of new covenant by means of death for redemption of transgressions under the first covenant that those who called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. I'll read again chapter 8 verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. Chapter 9 verse 15 again. And for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for redemption of transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. May the name of God be glorified. Let's pray. Almighty God, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day you have created for each one of us to come before your presence, praise you, worship you, Lord, and remember your wonderful, amazing, beautiful sacrifice with which you redeemed each one of us, Lord. Lord, thank you so much for this wonderful privilege, Lord. As we are going to sit before your presence, Lord, Lord, we come at Rebichan in your mighty hands, Lord. As he's speaking each word, Lord, let it be inspired by your spirit, Lord. And we commit our minds and spirit and our heart in your mighty hands, Lord, so that we just not be just hearers of this word, but doers of what we hear, Lord. Thank you for all the blessings, Lord. We commit again the rest of the proceedings in your mighty hands, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Can you hear me at the back? So it's a bit of a long passage. I was in two minds whether to um, go ahead and share, a, share in depth or just do an overview. Uh, the trouble is we have some people who, are, uh, who have been into this for years and years and some who are quite new to that concept. Um, so I'm just taking a, a middle path, probably doing an overview. And if people have questions, there are so many around us to whom you can reach out, or you can come back and meet, me, meet up with me as well. Uh, before I go into the word, I just wanted to thank you for the prayers um, uh, for my Uzbekistan trip. Again, it was a joy to meet up with all the believers. Things are easing out there with the with, uh, political climate. And um, just now as we stood up and were singing joyfully, I'm just hoping there will be a day when they also can do like this in a big congregation, stand up and sing and praise without fear of others coming in, uh, causing any harm. And I keep uh, praying for those uh, people from Muslim background. Okay, so as uh, Joe's uh, reread the verses, I suppose the theme was very clear. Chapter 8 and verse 6, now he has obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as he is also mediator of a better covenant. And 9.15 repeats that, 
And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. Mediator, mediator of the, of the new covenant, of the better covenant. So this portion has to do with uh, the mediator. Now, is, is Pradeep here today? Oh. Uh, if you really want to understand this, listen to Pradeep's uh, exhortations at worship. He usually goes to places here. And he goes in depth on uh, certain verses. Uh, sometimes we just sit through it, but listen carefully. He brings out the points quite uh, well in these passages. So here, uh, we talked last time, chapter 6, verse 13, to chapter 10, verse uh, 18, is kind of an exposition. This, has, this letter is uh, special and that there is exposition and exhortation, exposition, exhortation, it goes on. So this is the, the biggest piece of exhortation from chapter 6, verse 13, to chapter 10, verse 18. And I would say the crux of that comes out in this passage as well. You have one more exhortation, in, uh, one more exposition in uh, chapter 11, and then the rest is exhortation to the believers. Also, Mentioned last time that many a time we do the mistake of seeing the exhortation as exposition and drawing conclusions and um, bringing lots of theological questions and, uh, you know, uh, getting into wrong territory rather than understand the scripture and uh, profit from it. So last time we also said... Chapter 8 speaks about the ministry of the high priest. We term this as the little book of the high priest. And we said, this is the ministry of the high priest. Now, this starts by saying he has obtained a more excellent ministry. See, I have titled this as the more excellent ministry. The more excellent ministry. Uh, what is meant by the ministry that is being explained as the mediator of a covenant. Now, why is this ministry more excellent than the high priest of old? The, f- the first uh, reason for that we find in Verses 3 to 5, actually in verse 5 in chapter 8. They saw the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. There are a couple of architects in our midst, so they make up models before, um, you know, so that the people can visualize what exactly they are going to get. I remember I was involved in a project um, of a school facility, and there are a couple of bidders for that, and they actually made models and came and presented everything. We could already see it on the computer, but they came with everything, 
And then they also had the excite material that they would use samples of that and all that. A couple of years back, uh, or more, I read of uh, somebody in UP, uh, a Muslim guy who loved his wife very much, and his wife was dead. And on his plot of land, he made um, a replica of um, the Taj Mahal. Okay. Um, it would by no means be the Taj Mahal. And it is uh, of much poorer quality, much poorer, um, much um, smaller area. So this is the difference between the, the real and the model. You know, there was already the real Taj Mahal up in heaven. And then, for our own um, sake, the Lord allowed a small miniature Taj Mahal to be here on earth. And that is the tabernacle. And any ministry that is done in this Taj Mahal on earth is so low in stature compared to the service in the real Taj Mahal up in heaven. I'm using the word Taj Mahal. The tabernacle. Okay. So, why is it excellent? Because Christ is serving at the real tabernacle. I grew up as a Catholic. So, you know, the Catholic churches, the Orthodox churches, they are all, they all try to pattern it after what they think is the um, uh, the temple or the tabernacle that was there. They call it holy, and the holy of holies also they call it in um, both uh, Syrian Catholics and I'm sure the Orthodox also do that. And they also have the veil that is torn and then kept separate and all those kind of stuff. Okay, so there is a sense in which people value any um, solemnity, a lot of rituals, a lot of visual symbols. And the Lord gave those visual symbols to the people of Israel. If you take the book of Exodus, what exactly is the book of Exodus? It talks about the slavery and then talks about the uh, passing over from slavery to freedom and then giving the right of worship and giving them a pattern according to which they could worship. They could visualize. They could visualize that God was there speaking in the Holy of Holies from between the cherubims. Everything was patterned Moses was asked to make everything according to the pattern that he was shown up on the mountain. It's almost like looking at the real Taj Mahal and then coming and making the small little Taj Mahal. So a very um, lame um, example, but I, I guess that would help us to understand a little bit. And as um, up to uh, chapter 18 of Exodus is about how they reach Mount Sinai, 
And in Mount Sinai, they reached Mount Sinai in 19 onwards, you see instructions, and then finally the tabernacle gets built. So the, the tabernacle, the temple, had its own um, covenant and its own covenant and its own right of service. Right means R-I-T, right, not R-I-G-H-T. Uh, um, the, the courts of worship. Uh, now, it is, if you read through uh, chapter 19 onwards, in Exodus, it's going to be really wonderful. Sometimes um, you are scared. Sometimes you think, what is happening? Anyway, the, the Lord actually gives them the covenant. And uh, I'm just going to read a few verses from there. Okay, uh, Exodus 19 and verse uh, 5 here. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... Then you shall be a special people, special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So a covenant is given. It's a covenant around which they have to perform. Okay, the covenant is. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, if you will indeed obey and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And when we come to First Peter chapter two, verse nine, you understand we are a we are a royal priesthood, we are a holy nation. God's own special people. So now is the real and the actual. But we still cannot experience it because we do not see God. And many times we are in our flesh. And our experience is clouded with all that is happening around us as well. Yes. But in the Old Testament, the Lord really wanted them to get a sense of what was happening. So... He called them, um, you can go through this portion later on for those who are really interested. So, um, three days people had to be preparing themselves to meet God on the holy mountain. And um, I'm reading chapter 19, verse 17, and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through, the ga- break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up 
to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Let uh, set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Away, get down, and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them, etc. After that we see Moses come up to the mountain. The Lord is calling him to go up to the mountain. And that actually happens in kind of three stages. If you look at um, uh, Exodus chapter 24, verse 1. Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from far. And Moses alone shall come up near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. Okay, then later on we find, then he sent the young men of the children of Israel who offer the burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant, and he read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the, that the Lord has said we will do, and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. They say, We will keep, we will do whatever the Lord has said. And we see that within probably 47 days, maybe much less than that, they break the covenant. They actually, of, they actually make a golden calf. Okay. Then Moses went up and also Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and drank. So the first covenant happens with the people getting scared and they say, we'll do all what the Lord says, but let the Lord not speak to us directly. You just go ahead and hear everything and tell us. And around 75 people, there is 70, pe- 70 of the elders, then the priests, three of them, and then Moses and uh, Joshua, they go up. And here they are having a feast. They went up. Okay? And it was um, like the very heavens in its clarity. But the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So, so they saw God and they ate and drank. The Lord called them. You know, now we have, there are covenants that we enter into, right? Okay, somebody's nodding his head. You will enter into the covenant soon, I hope. The... <laughs> The, the wedding is a covenant, but it is not a conditional covenant. After the covenant, we definitely have a feast, right? So here also, the, there's a feast the Lord has thrown 
a feast to um, the 75 elders and the others. So after that, after, after that stage, he says, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain. So this is the second stage. Okay. First they have the, the elders are eating. That was the second stage. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. And I will give you tablets of stone and the law and the commandments which I have written that he may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua and went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. So next six days, Moses and Joshua, this is the second stage, Moses and Joshua in the presence of the Lord. And the cloud covered them. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days and on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So the third stage Moses alone in the presence of the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. And there he sees a pattern. There he sees a pattern. The Lord shows a pattern which I refer to as a real Taj Mahal. And according to that many things were done. <coughs> you know, many a time it's very easy for us to ask, oh this is, a, this is all the Old Testament and um, they are done with it and uh, the Jews did not understand. Now we understand. But many of them I wonder whether in our hearts, heart of hearts, there is a feeling, um, you know, I need a mediator other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That is very well expressed um, among Catholics. I grew up as a Catholic, that's what I'm saying among Orthodox and some other uh, denominations. So, we always said, to Jesus, through Mary. And they also have declared Mary as the mediatrix. Not a mediator, mediatrix. And they would explain it by saying, um, uh, it's um, the work of salvation was accomplished by Christ, but there is a mediator, mediatrix, which is, uh, which is the Virgin Mary, they call it. So, people always lack confidence to go up and face someone higher. Okay? And the Lord God seated so high above us. And when we start even thinking about it, when we start realizing our sinfulness, in our own minds, I wonder whether we have that. Hmm? Many times, uh, some of us are afraid to go and talk to bigger bosses. 
right? People whom we consider to be a little higher up in the um, in the um, reporting structure. And sometimes we also say, oh, if I pray, the Lord will not hear. Don't we say that? And they say, uh, always have heard one person say, if I pray, the Lord does not hear, but so and so prays and uh, the Lord hears. Right? So I would rather tell that person to pray for me rather than I pray myself. Correct? Uh, if you are honest to ourselves, um, this is an application. This is not the real teaching there. This is an application part of it. Okay. Have confidence. You know why? There is only one mediator and he has come down. And he, uh, this morning, um, he read, taking the form of a servant. And he became obedient unto death, suffering the scorn of the cross, if you read it together with Hebrews 12. Okay, so, in, in front of us, he stood not as our boss, but as our slave. Our mediator is so humble, he washes the feet of his disciples. And to him, we can go with confidence. And of all those, um, all of us as we minister to others, we also need to have the same attitude that Christ became a slave, so I also will become a slave of those around me. Okay. So, right here, Christ is the mediator. And Christ is not anybody to be scared of. He has become like us. So that we would not feel it terrible, he came down from heaven and became a human being. And not only that he became a human being, he did not go and live in a palace. He lived a normal life. He was not an IT guy. Right? Uh, uh, somebody referred to this as a EP church. I don't know. Yeah, maybe we are. But a very, you know, if, if he came and lived uh, among us, maybe he would have been a construction laborer. Don't know. He lived a normal life. And he lived and moved and he mixed up with the uh, fishermen and he was not ashamed to be um, associated with the socially outcast but rich tax collectors. He did not uh, shy away from um, prostitutes. If you're a sinner, if you don't have money, if you don't have education, he's there. He's there. And if you have suffered shame in life, today we heard the description. So he suffered the worst shame that a human being in, um, in that condition could have. So our mediator is up in heaven, but at the same time he's one who can, you know, gel with us, or with whom we can gel. 
So with that confidence, we should draw near to the throne of grace. That was what we had looked at um, in chapter 4 before. So he's obtained an excellent ministry. The focus here is though that he has an excellent ministry. A ministry that is in the real tabernacle. (coughs) If you give money to a pujari, he'll do a puja for you. If you give money to a priest, he'll say mass for you. Okay. Now you go to any different religions. Somebody does something for you and you give him something. You go to God through a mediator. And even then, are they even able to see God or even tell us what God thinks about it? Not at all. But here we have Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's what we um, read in chapter 1 in verse 3 when he had by himself purged our sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he's up in the right place from where power, from where grace and everything flows. And we sing majesty, majesty, worship his majesty, kingdom authority, everything flows from his throne. So we have come to the presence of that great mediator. Now, why is this um, ministry an excellent ministry? If you look at another aspect of it, it says, it's a better covenant in as much as he is also a mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. Okay, the mediator is has got a covenant based on better promises. You know the old covenant it was conditional. Okay? Uh, if you read verses seven and eight but if the first, uh, I'm in chapter 8, Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8, verses 7 and 8. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with him, with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with, the, with their fathers in the day when I took them, by hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. So it says, the covenant, the first covenant was faulty. Can God's covenant be faulty? It is not from the perspective of Morally, was it faulty? No. When God made something, it was perfect. But we could not attain that. Okay? We could not attain that. So, in terms of its efficacy, it was faulty. It could not be effective in giving us our salvation. And there were promises made to Abraham that the people were to inherit. 
and those promises had to come not through the old covenant but through this new covenant so the old covenant was faulty in the sense that we could not attain it okay and also um, it's based on better promises the promises without condition now okay let's come to uh, verse 10 here for this is the covenant that i will make with the house of israel after those days says the lord i will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and i will be their god and they shall be my people if if you remember when we read in Exodus 19 was if you will do this then you shall be but here there is no condition no condition the again the wedding vows the marriage vows it is without condition right whether my wife does that or this i have pledged to her and whether i do this so that my wife has pledged to me here the lord says i will put my laws in their mind i will write them on their hearts my christian has the lord written the law in your mind has he written them in your hearts many time people growing up in believing families can be fooled into thinking that the law is written on their minds and their hearts okay but if it has really been written then there is a confidence that comes not because somebody says that one saved always saved you know those kind of um wordings that come uh, fly through here and there but in your heart and in your mind you know that the lord has told you i have found you you are mine if that has been written on our hearts and on our minds we belong to him this is what the mediator brings to us he writes on our hearts and on our minds and again satan can come and uh test us okay tempt us but once we have heard his voice you know then we hold on to it forever and even if our faith fails in between he will come and strengthen us and we have discussed this again again and again that there are besetting sins and we struggle against them sometimes we overcome them and there's a uh, period of victory and the lord wants us to have consistent victory don't misunderstand me but is <coughs> first john chapter 2 says but if you sin little children i write to you this so that you may not sin but if you sin but if you sin okay look to the mediator 
looked to the mediator. He was the one who called us by our name and said, you are mine. And that happens on a day, on a season, when we commit our strivings to obtain salvation, to obtain salvation by our works to him and say, you have died for me by your cross, by your blood, by your death on the cross. You have paid for my sins and I am yours. If he has written on our minds and hearts that way, we belong to him and we don't need to worry further. Okay, um, we can also remember the verse which says First Timothy chapter two, verse five and six. Uh, it says uh, there is one mediator between God and man. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So it is. There is one mediator and one mediator alone. There is no other name given for us to be saved. No other method, no other mediator. There is one mediator between God and men. Now we quickly move to chapter 9. Chapter 9 verses 1 to 10. It talks about the old covenant. The earthly sanctuary and its service. So, chapter 9 verses 1 to 10 is like your um, Taj Mahal in, uh, that the uh, guy in UP made, the model of the Taj Mahal. Okay? And verses 11 to 28 is about the real sanctuary and its sacrifice. So, I would say... Chapter 9, 1 to 10 is the earthly sanctuary and its service. And verses um, 11 to 28, yes, 11 to 28 is the heavenly sanctuary and its sacrifice. So to look at it uh, in a very simple way, uh, again, if you have been to Orthodox churches, Catholic churches, very easy to picture. There's one section, and then there is another section. Okay, so the second section, the holy of holies. Some of them go and you know they think it is the body of Christ, and then um, the bread is locked up, and they call it a tabernacle, and it's locked up in the, uh, with key, and there's a small curtain on in front of it. So there's a holy of holies and holies. The, the holy place and the holy of holies. Just remember two places. So, he says, verse 2, a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, we are in chapter 9, for a ta- tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. By the way, I find it very funny now, uh, many of the churches refer to their halls where they come together for worship as the sanctuary. It is 
it flies in the face of scripture but it has become a main term among evangelical christians um, anyway this is the sanctuary and behind the second veil the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold in which were the golden pot that had manna Aaron's rod that budded and the tablets of the covenant and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot now speak in detail now when these things had been thus prepared the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services but into the second part of the into the second part the high priest went alone once a year not without blood which he offered for himself and for the people's sin committed in ignorance now verse 8 is a key part the holy spirit indicating this that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing why did the why was the high priest allowed to go only once a year and with a lot of preparation and also with a chain um fastened his body so that he can be pulled out if he dies there and all that the holiest of holies that place has not been opened the real sanctuary the real tabernacle has not yet been opened the holy spirit was indicating that so in the old testament nothing happened with it was waiting for the coming of the mediator to take us into the holy of holies into heaven so it says it was symbolic for the present time verse 9 okay then come to verse 11 the second section but christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation so christ is in the heavenlies he's he's there christ the high priest that we have been talking about the high priest is in the more perfect the heavenly sanctuary now with the blood of goats and calves uh, not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies and sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh how much more shall the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to god cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living god and for this reason is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance so if you look at verses 11 to 15 you will find the word eternal thrice here okay find eternal redemption in chapter uh, in verse 12 then we find the eternal spirit in verse 14 and we find uh, 
the eternal inheritance in verse 15 so another nature of the work of the high priest is being brought out eternal redemption through the death of the high priest offered to god the father through the eternal spirit so the um, qualifying eternal for holy spirit doesn't come anywhere else here the through the eternal spirit brought eternal inheritance so everything that happens is for eternity in the old covenant everything happened you sin you offer sacrifices you sin again you offer sacrifices again this is once and for all it is done eternal sacrifice eternal eternal redemption eternal inheritance through the eternal spirit i just want to focus uh, on a small little thing here uh, verse 14 how much more shall the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to god uh, many a time very evangelistic people would uh, say come up with a slightly um, um, long twist that goes into great error and say um, Christ um, paid the ransom to Satan okay so people usually refer to it as the ransom to Satan theory so the ransom was paid to whom to god by whom how much more shall the blood of christ through, who through the eternal spirit it was offered by god the son through the spirit to god so that's the right thing our ransom was paid to god the father by god the son through god the holy spirit it's beautiful to see Trinity in action there. Okay. And um, if you go from 16 to 20, 24, it's going to establish that Christ's sacrifice was necessary. There are two things I actually said there. For the dedicated, okay, I'll read verse 18. therefore not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood for the dedication of the covenant blood was needed and for purification also um blood was needed even so then it was necessary that christ die these are things that we uh, hear again and again so we are not um, going to dwell in depth on that Okay. Now, verse 25 to 28, it would be that this covenant is final and complete. That's a message that comes through. And there are a couple of verses here in this section that we can all, we all hear so often. Maybe we can uh, memorize them as well. For example, uh, Hebrews 9, 13 and 14, you could actually fight a, um, a wrong doctrine also in your mind and you also can be so assured of the trinity and everything 
through that. Verse 15 is good. Chapter 8, verse 6 is good. Chapter 9, verse 8 is nice. And I'm sure many have memorized chapter 9, verses 27 and 28 uh, in Sunday school classes. Sorry for those who are from other backgrounds. So as you uh, uh, go through this section, ask other people who have been longer in faith or uh, which are the verses that they have learned as uh, little children. Okay? Um, Kevin is smiling. Don't worry, Kevin. I came to faith even after your age. so No issues. You'll all get there one day. Um, so I really want to stop here. Uh, there hasn't been uh, application, application that I have brought forth from this uh, passage. But it's also uh, necessary for us, especially those of us who are new um, uh, around here, to understand. You know, the Lord had a perfect plan that was there from before the ages, and then He revealed it slowly. And there was a form through which all that um, message was coming through. And God was going to make a sacrifice for us and save us from our sins. And that was accomplished through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And this, this is there throughout the scripture. I just want to go quickly to chapter 12. Um, And verse 18, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and burnt with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. This is about the old covenant. Again then, verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. We have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And where does that uh, mediator take us to? To Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Guys, we have not come to a special experience here on this earth. Yes, we have. But something much more superior is awaiting us in the heavenly Jerusalem, in the real Mount Zion. There will be a gathering of angels. The general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to guard the judge of all and we will come with confidence we will come with confidence that we will not be condemned. We will be accepted as his people, as his children. 
to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. Here, the blood of Christ speaking forgiveness, redemption, eternal redemption, eternal inheritance, and beckoning us to a greater glory up above. And verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and let us serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Let us serve God. How? With reverence and godly fear. Now, many a time we try to be reverent. Now, when we realize what God has done, that will give us the reverence and the fear. The fear is not that someone would see you and would report you to your parents or to, you know, wherever. Nothing of that. Fear is a fear of the living God and reverence for the living God who came and became a sacrifice for us. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for our salvation and we want to thank you for the great purposes that you have for each of us. Leading many sons to glory. Perfecting your son through suffering so that he could lead us to glory. He purged our sins and made us sit in the heavenlies. After purging our sins, he seated at the right hand of the majesty on high and we are seated with him right there. And we are a kingdom of priests. We are a chosen people. We are your own special people. Help us to live with that thought in our mind that we do not belong to this world. This world is not my home. I'm passing on to greater glory. I really don't belong to the crowd that I see around. At the same time, when I realize that, Father, I'm called to lead them also to your saving knowledge. Lord, help us to see eternity. Help us to see the heavenly tabernacle. Help us to see Mount Zion and heavenly Jerusalem before us. Help us to see the angels in festal gathering and us joining them. Not a Friday night party here, but angels in festal gathering. The spirits of just men made perfect. Thank you for the blood of Christ that has made us worthy for all this. In Christ's precious name.